All right, Psalm 26, Psalm 26, where we'll be this morning. Psalm 26, we got past the missions, we're back to Psalms, isn't that amazing? Surprise, surprise. Uh, As I was studying, uh, I tell you, honestly, I started in Psalm 1, and I just started reading, and uh, when I hit Psalm 26, I knew that's it. That's it. So uh, hopefully be able to share something with you. I really, really enjoyed digging into this psalm here. Psalm number 26 and beginning there in verse number one. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine in- integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house, and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, and whose hands is mischief, and the right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place, in the congregations will I bless the Lord. As we've had many psalm, uh, sermons from the Psalms here so far this year, there's been some of the recurring themes I, I want to remind you about. And uh, if you remember back from Psalm number 1, Psalm 1, the very first one is, uh, you know, I, I like to call it the pitch pipe. It's like the, the, the key signature, if you want to use music terms, uh, for everything that follows. It sets the theme for the book of Psalms by showing the two paths that we have laid out before us that we can follow. One, I will call the way of the blessed, and that's following the commandments of the Lord. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or nor, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, His leaf also shall not wither, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You have that way, the way of of blessing, and then you have the way of the wicked, those that reject the Lord to their peril. And that's kind of the last half of Psalm 1. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The idea of these two paths is woven throughout the rest of the Psalms. If we follow the way of the blessed, we've looked at that this morning. It's even in the Sermon on the Mount. Go back to Matthew 5. The the, the blessed is the, the, those things, the same idea is even there. But throughout the book of Psalms, you have these, the way of the blessed, peace, uh, prayers answered, deliverance, the, the blessing of God on our life. And if we follow the way of the wicked, there's troubles, there's turmoil, fear, anger, God's disfavor on our life. 
The book of Psalms is a guidebook for us to mold our minds. It sculpts our hearts. It looses our tongues. It opens our ears. It directs our eyes. It guides our steps. It bends our knees. It strengthens our backs. It activates our hands all to the glory of God. It just puts into action truth. I've told you before, theology is practical. Theology changes how we live. And that's what you get in the book of Psalms, even the book of Proverbs. It's practical theology. This is, it affects how you live. The book of Psalms, it tells us what to do, how to do it, why we do it. And I'm convinced, by the way, if all we had of the Bible was the 150 Psalms, I think that would be more than sufficient to show us how to live, how to think, how to love. Psalm 26 is interesting. It is, I think, a personal expression of Psalm number 1. There's a lot of uh, callbacks to Psalm 1 here. The two are uh, intrinsically connected. Psalm 1 says not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 26 is from the heart of one who says, I have walked in truth and integrity, verses 1, 3, and 12. And he says that he did not sit with vain persons or the wicked. See, he's calling back the imagery of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is very black and white. You are either blessed or you're wicked. Psalm 26 makes the same distinction. You are either blessed or you're in the wicked. Now, there is sort of a third class that's introduced here, and that's the fakes. Verse number 4 kind of talks about these. They're the vain persons. They're empty. The vanity in Scripture is empty. It's a synonym for idolatry, for sinfulness. But it's emptiness. And then you have the dissembler. And now this is a very precise term here. Some people translate this hypocrite. And it's not the same word as hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody, a hypocrite means an actor. You put on a false face. A dissembler, it means to hide or conceal. So it's not putting on a good front. It's kind of the other half of that. I keep blowing into that. It's kind of the other half of it where I'm hiding something. And just because I put on a good face doesn't necessarily mean I'm hiding something usually. They kind of go hand in hand, but it's actually trying to tell us that they're hiding who they really are. But really, though, you think about it, it's really not a new group. It's a new subcategory of the wicked. They look like they're doing good, but they're hiding their wickedness. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Psalm 1 says the wicked shall perish. Psalm 26 implies this in verses 9 and 10, uh, where, where David there writes, Gather not my soul with the sinners, my life with the bloody man. He says, I, I don't want to be with them at the judgment day. Psalm 1 says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, he, that he understands the very fiber of our being. Psalm 26 rests on that fact, calling on God to recognize his righteous servant. The two are deeply related. I, I would describe it this way. Psalm 1 is the guidebook. It describes what the righteous should do how they should act. It's, it's largely kind of external. Don't sit, don't walk, don't, you know, it, it's very practical. Psalm 26, though, is like an x-ray. It'd be like one way, uh, if you go to the doctor, sometimes they'll just, they'll look at you on the outside, they'll, they'll poke you a little bit and do those kind of things. Uh, kind of like the guy that went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, you're fat and you're ugly, so I want a second opinion. Well, you're fat and ugly. You know? uh, uh, 
you, you go back, uh, it's, it's, it's not like, uh, but it's, it's external. But then you can also go and you can do it internal. Go get an x-ray, get a sonogram. And I think that's what Psalm 26 is. This is looking at it from the inside. This is an inside personal view of what it is to live the Psalm 1 life. Psalm 26 is Psalm 1 in action. This morning, I'll look at the example of the righteous man in Psalm 26, and we'll see how we can apply it in our lives here. First thing I want us to see is the prayer for testing in verses 1 and 2. Judge me, O Lord, I have walked in mine integrity, I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me, try my reins in my heart. Um... We saw, if you look up kind of in the heading of your Bible there, you'll see that this was a psalm written by David. A lot of commentaries and stuff I looked at on this, uh, the scholars and such, they, they think this was written at a time when he was being accused of wrongdoing. Uh, maybe when, uh, when Absalom rebelled or, or something. I think, uh, or some people say Bathsheba. I don't really see it. Uh, Reese's Chronological Bible has it. Uh, when uh, he's still in Saul's court, before he leaves Saul's court. And, and I think that really makes a lot of sense there. But he's crying here from a moral high ground. He's been falsely accused. So he appeals to the highest authority that God truly knows him. He's been accused, well, you're, you're, you're a scoundrel. You're not a good man. You're just out for yourself. And he says, well, as God is my witness. I have done my best to be right, to do right, to serve Him. He he says, "Judge me, test, try me." By the way, it's a few. It's a, it's a prayer very few today like to pray. You ever go before God and say, "God, look me over, find what's wrong. Is there something I need to fix, God?" We don't like to do that. We like to say, "God, I'm doing pretty good. I'm. <laughs> you're lucky to have me on your side, aren't you, God?" But to go before God and say, God, point out what I need to change. Point out where there would be. I, there was a preacher, and I can't remember which one it was. Uh, one of the, I want to say it was one of like the tent revival guys from the, uh, the early uh, 1900s told the story about, uh, said he was praying one night, and he said it was like his, his, his heart was a house. And God was going through and saying, okay, can I have this room? Can I have this part of your life? And, oh, yes, God, you can have that. Can I have this part of your life? Oh, yes, God, you can have that. And it's just like God went to a closet and said, can I have what's in here? And the guy said, no, 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 no. You can't have that. I don't even want to deal with that. And he says, it's like God's presence began to leave him. And he says, he called out to God, 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 you can have it. You can have it all. That's what happened when we pray, judge me. Look at me, God. Find what I need to do. I love the, the old song. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Why don't we do this? It's because we're afraid of what he'll find. Remember growing up and mom would say, okay, y'all need to go clean your room. Okay, so me and Carrie would go clean our room. You know how kids are. You get distracted. You start playing. And then mom, see, we had the upstairs, and they were downstairs. They just, I think that was for our safety, you know. You know. <laughs> so uh, 
but she would go down and she'd bang on the wall down by the bottom of the stairs to get our attention. And so we, uh, and so she'd do that and say, oh, are y'all done cleaning? Yeah, we're done cleaning. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, do I need to come up there? You know what? We need a little bit more time. We're not quite, you know, when you bring in the, the expert, when you bring in the real judge of things, it changes things. Well, listen, we can think we're doing pretty good. In our own minds, by the way, we do that because we like to measure ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm pretty good. I do this. But when we measure that against God's righteousness, we got a lot to do. We've still got a ways to go. The setting here, David's done nothing wrong. It's not a boastful or arrogant statement because it's it's not about what he's done. All that he had done, he, he's just done what's right. He, he's, being, he, he's saying, God, I've done what you said. I've followed after you. He says he has walked. He has trusted. Um, it, it's, it's important here. It's not about what he did, but it's about who told him to do it. The faith is ultimately in God and not in man or himself. Verse number two, the language there, they say the Hebrew words are the words that are used for refining metals. And um, I tell you, I, uh, one time I was at the Brahms in, in Denton. And um, I didn't want to go in. And I, anyway, I drove through and got my hamburger. And I was sitting this while I was working in the oil field. And I was sitting in the parking lot there. And at that time, sometimes didn't. There's a lot of people out and around, you know, homeless people and things. And I, I'm not. I'm not even paying attention. I'm eating my hamburger, and somebody knocks on my window. And I kind of roll down my window very cautiously. And there's a guy standing there. And, he's like, "Oh man, hey, would you buy this gold bracelet?" And he hands me this gold bracelet. And he hands me this piece of paper and says, look, see, it's in this catalog. See, man, it's like $300 for this gold bracelet. I mean, I need some money. I'll sell it to you for 10 bucks." Now, I'm going to tell you, this one of those cases where I wish, you know, I was kind of somebody else or something. I wish I had been like a jeweler and had like the little test kit and thing with the gold. You scratch it into like a scratch test thing for that. I wish I could be, oh, 24-karat gold. Well, let me just check it real quick because I got a feeling that guy would have skedaddled pretty quick because I really doubt what he just handed to me was that expensive of a bracelet. Why? Because testing proves what is real. One of the most convicting questions I've ever heard a preacher say is this. If you were on trial for being a Christian, could they find enough evidence to convict you? Could they look at, could they go through your phone, through your computer? Could they go through your house? Could they look at where you go during the week and say, that person is a Christian. Note the thoroughness also. The reins in the heart. That's the Old Testament language. Literally means basically the guts. <laughs> it's the inside of you. It's, it's, it's what we would say is the heart or the mind, but it's, a, it, 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 it's saying look inside. And I remind you again, the world of the Bible times, there's no distinction between what's felt and what's acted. The, the two going together. It's like someone saying, uh, I must be healthy. I just ran a marathon. Look, I did this. Uh, well, let's go do an x-ray and then find out, are you really healthy? Let's do a blood test. You may have run a marathon. That's great. But you may have cancer. You don't know. I mean, this is being very, very thorough, testing out the inside also. I'll repeat before I move on. When's the last time we prayed to be tested like this? So thoroughly. God just lay it all out there. Show me what I need to change. If we're honest, I think it's because we're too comfortable where we're at. That's why we don't like to think this. 
It's because we know deep down God's going to find something and we really don't want to change it. The same reason I like going to the doctor. I know what they're going to tell me and I don't want to hear it. You know, I could I could basically write that prescription out myself. Lose some weight. You know? <laughs> uh, I just, I don't want to hear it. Um, the same reason we don't pray like this to God. Say, God, search me. Try me. Prove me. Second thing I want to see is the profession of faithfulness in verses 3 through 5. For thy loving kindness, that's God's loving kindness, is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons. I, uh, therefore will I go with the dissemblers. I have, hate, I have hated the congregation of the evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. David's not bragging here. He's not trying to say, <coughs> look at me. <coughs> kind of like the, the Pharisee that goes to Christ and says, oh, I fast and I do all this kind of stuff. That's not what he's doing here. But he is making a case. And... Um, uh, he's doing is making the case. He's saying, okay, I'm on trial for being a believer, for doing what's right. I can prove I've been a believer. When I was working at the bank uh, in the IT, there was a couple times some things happened, and, you know, things, guess what? Especially technology, things break sometimes. Things go wrong. There's There was a couple times where I would be working on a project, something would go wrong, and there would be questions. The execs would have a question. And sometimes it, it could get a little pointed. Well, what did you do? How, how, what did you do to prevent this? And there were times I would sit down and I'd open up and I'd start an email. And then I would open up on the other screen. I'd open up, we have a support ticket system. And I would say, the person put a ticket in to fix this problem on this day at this time. I responded at this date and this time. And I would pull up my call logs. I called them at this time. And then I would say, you know, look, I got an email. And I would list out everything I had done. And what was I doing? I was basically making a case. I'm doing my job. Things happen. But that broke because it, wasn't, it was in spite of what I was doing. It wasn't because I didn't do my job. Um, and I think that's kind of what David is doing here. By the way, I think it's James 2 in action. How can you prove faith? It's through works. It's... Um, it's like the hypothetical uh, question about being in court and having to prove. I can't. I don't know that you're a Christian. I can't do a blood test. There's no aura around you. Uh, we used to, you know, do with kids. You say, oh, when when you're when you're lost, you have a black heart of sin, and then Jesus comes in and gives you the white heart of sin. Well, I can cut you open, and your heart's red or something. <laughs> it's, it's not black or white. It doesn't change your color like that. It's, it's, that's not how it really works. It's not physical there. It's spiritual. But I can't do that. But what I have to do is say, well, here's proof. Here's proof that I am a Christian. But it's not just any work. It's obeying what God said to do. It's doing what God said. Look, mind you, look at just this. It echoes back to Psalm 1. I'm not standing. I'm not sitting. I'm not walking. I'm not doing these things. I'm not around the wicked. He's saying, go back to Psalm 1. I am doing that. Verse 3 kind of sums it up. Thy loving kindness for my eyes. What's guiding me? God's mercy. God's grace. That's what I am going towards. That's what motivates me. It says, I have walked, I, I have not been idle, I've been active in my faith. Well, to God, we can say the same thing. and say, God, I'm doing my best to do what is right. God, I'm, I'm at church. God, I'm giving. God, I'm sharing the, the, the gospel. I'm, 
with God, we can have that same thing and say, God, yes, I am doing my best to serve you and to follow what the Scriptures say. The third division we'll look at is praise for God in verses 6 through 8. I will wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. I'm going to tell you, I think another one of those philosophies we have in our life, that I think we have it backwards. We tend to think that you come to church and that affects how you live the rest of your, you know, you come to church for an hour or two, and that affects all the other hours of the week. You know, that one, what you do on one day of the week affects the other six, kind of thinking. I'm not sure that the opposite isn't true. I, I think maybe what we do outside of the church has a greater impact on what happens inside the church. And I think, and I'll tell you this, because verse number 6 there is interesting, because it's an allusion back to the Old Testament law. And in the law of Moses, we go back and read Leviticus, and there are multiple examples of what's called a defilement or uncleanness, where, for instance, you touch a dead body, you're ceremonially unclean, and you could not participate in some of the ceremonies. You couldn't go in to the tabernacle until you offered the proper sacrifices or waited a certain time or, or you bathed properly. There's, there's all kinds of things that, that do that. Uh, a leper, the case of a leper is the same thing. Uh, if you were cured from your leprosy, you had to be examined and you had to go through a process. And then you could go back in and you could uh, be part of the congregation in the tabernacle. There's so many things. It's, it's, it's kind of a foreign ideal to us today, this idea of defilement. But, um, but, but I think that's what this is talking about here. And that, that's an example of life outside the tabernacle affecting life in the tabernacle. Now, no, no, nobody could say, I have done nothing wrong. I've talked to little kids before and say, you know, about the gospel, say, okay, are you a sinner? No. You've never done anything wrong? No. I want to say, if you weren't four years old, no. <laughs> but I look at them, I want to say, you're lying to me right now. I know. Some of them I know. I'm like, I know you. I can make you a list. <laughs> None of us can say we're not without purity. But this is interesting, and this goes back to the Old Testament. Exodus 30, when the priests and the Levites were there in the, in the tabernacle in the courtyard, one of the pieces of furniture is uh, the, 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 the brass laver, the water. And what they would do is they would go by as they're serving and doing the thing, and they'd go by and they'd wash their hands, they'd wash their feet. And what it was now... Big things, you, the uncleanliness, defilement, you would have to offer sacrifice, you had to do things. But this was like, it's like taking care of the little things. I, I, I don't know, I may have done something, but I'm going to wash anyway. Um, Exodus 30, verse 19, God's telling them, it says, For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat, talking about the, the, the brass laver. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. When they come near to the altar to minister, to burn sacrifice made with, by fire unto the Lord, so shall they wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him to see throughout their generations. God said, I'm trying to tell you something in this picture story here. I'm trying to tell you something. And that is, yes, there is uh, you know, the great atonement that's made for our sins. 
and there's a price for sins, and there is you know, retribution, and there's reconciliation, all these different ideas. But even as we go through life, we can still need to just wash up because there's still some sin in our life. Uh, it may not be major. So, well, I didn't commit murder. But yeah, there's still something. Because I know us. There's still something. And that's that washing hands. Like, I hadn't done murder. I hadn't done anything major. But I, I'm still a sinful person. I still need to wash up every now and then. Wash my hands in innocency. I think what David is saying here is that ceremonially he can say, hey, I'm clean. I haven't touched that body. I hadn't done this. I'm clean in that. Was he sinless though? No, he still needed to to wash up there at the laver before he could serve. But there's nothing preventing him from being in the presence of God at the tabernacle. But um, he, he has the right to be there, but as he's there in the presence, he still has to, to wash up. I think that's the imagery that's going on here. He's saying, look, I'm not perfect. I still have to wash. But notice there, it's so I will be about the altar. I think this is talking about the tabernacle there. It's talking about access and fellowship there in the tabernacle. Okay, anyway, is all this, is this for David's own glory? No, it's for the glory of God, verse 7. And I like this, was David alone? No, he could join others there. Verse number 8, uh, in uh, the place where thine honor dwelleth. He's, I think what he's alluding to, this is a place where we gather as a congregation and we are praising God, we're giving thanksgiving. Uh, he said, I'm joining in with, a, with a, a lot of people here where God's glory and honor just dwelt, where it manifested. While we are asking the Lord to search us, it'd be good for us to also pray that He reveal our motives within us. And I think that, like I said, I think what we're talking about here. Is it good to live a holy life? Yes, so long as it's for the right reasons. If you live a holy life to lift up your own honor, that's not good. If you live a holy life to be better than others, that's not good. If you live a holy life to atone for your sins, that doesn't work. It's not good. But if you live a holy life to bring honor and glory to God, that's good. That's right. 1 Corinthians 10.31 whether, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, whatsoever, that's pretty much everything, do all to the glory of God. And the last thing I'll see, uh, number four here, is the plea for mercy in verses 9 and 10 to, or, uh, through 12. Plea for mercy. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and in his right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place, and the congregation will I bless the Lord. As the psalm closes, we're back in the Psalm 1 territory. There's the wicked. They're full of bloodshed, mischief, bribery. That's one of the big things when you read the Old Testament. The law is telling the truth in, 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 in testimony, court cases, or just general in life. And they have a fate. It says they're going to be gathered. That's like gathered like a harvest. It's, it's like gathering up you know, sticks to burn, basically, and some of the furniture that didn't sell. You know, we're gonna, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. You know, we're going to gather it up. We're going to dispose of it. Uh, that, that's kind of the idea that's there. David's prayer is that he does not have their faith. Uh, have their fate. God, it's like, God, don't count me like them. Why? He's been accused of being a wicked person. He's saying, God, don't let me have their fate. God, you know better than that. Now, I want you to note this. David's talked a whole lot in this psalm about what he did. 
And I know we're careful to do that because we don't want to brag. We don't want to be self-righteous. I don't think David's doing that in this psalm. But when it comes down to this, he says, God, I don't want to be gathered with the wicked. I don't want to be with those guys. I don't want to walk with them. don't want to sit with them. I don't want to be around them. But verse 11, but as for me, I will walk in my integrity. So I'm going to do what's right. But notice the last half of this verse. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. David says, I've done the best I can and it's not enough. God, I need help. He's not, he's not trusting in his own works. He's trusting in the grace, the mercy of God. Though he continues to live a righteous life, that's not what he appeals to. He recognizes there's something greater than our own deeds that's needed. The plea at the end of Psalm, uh, verse 12 is salvation, by, or verse 10, is salvation by grace through faith. I'm trusting in God. I can't work my way to heaven. I can't work my way to righteousness. I'm trusting in Him. By the way, and then we live our life that way. I can't live good enough. I need Him. I have to have Him to redeem me, His mercy, His grace. It's a cry to God to pay a price I could never afford to ransom me from my own sins. It's an appeal to, not to God's justice. By the way, God's justice is in verses 9 and 10. There are sinners and they're paying the price. That's justice. That condemns the sinner. Here he is appealing to God's grace and mercy that will bring God's undeserved favor down upon us. That's what we have illustrated here in these closing verses. And where it ends up there is another statement about his actions. By the way, I like that. He's not just saying, okay, I'm good. I did what was right. God, you, you tell them. You justify me. You know, God, trusting in you. But he's not just resting in the rock of ages here. He's still active. Still true for us today. I, I don't live the Christian life to be a Christian. I live the Christian life because I am a Christian. Get the difference there? I don't live it to be one. I live it because I am one. And that's what he is saying here. I don't follow after righteousness and holiness to be safe from my sin. I don't run from the wicked and evil to somehow find eternal life. But because faith has made a change in my heart, because there's been a change in my life, he says, my foot standeth in the even place. I'm safe. I'm secure. I shall not be moved. Though the winds howl, though Satan attack me, I shall not be moved. I am on good, solid ground, safe and secure on the rock of ages. And this says, in the congregations will I bless the Lord. I like this again. He says, I'm not alone. There's a host of believers that I'm with. I don't have to walk this way alone. I've got fellow brothers and sisters that I am with to help me stand, to help me in my Christian life. As musicians, go ahead and come. And Boy, I feel sorry. I apologize to Pam and them uh, when they went back there because of all that cash, and they're still going. <laughs> um, so, Carrie, if you'll come, you can just pick you out a, a psalm to play there and uh, what number you will do you know you don't know yet I'll give you a minute so he's not used to having to pick so 
Um, as we wrap this up, looking at looking at this, I ask you again. I'm going to tell you one of the, the the main features of this psalm that just astounds me is that opening prayer, saying, "God, what can I do better? What can I do?" That's not being satisfied. I remember I used to talk a lot about Tiger Woods and use him as the example, but then his personal life really blew up. <laughs> but I remember at one point in T Tiger Woods' career. I mean, he was the most dominant golfer on the face of the earth. I mean, just when he was really going strong, was it late 90s or so? He said, I can be better. And he got a different coach. He, he redid his entire swing and all this kind of stuff because he said, I can be better than I was. And he actually did. He got more dominant. <laughs> and and so, so a lot of people would say, oh, you know what? I'm already the best in the world. Why should I be better? He said, no, I want to be the best that I can be. How many times we as a Christian think, I've done enough without saying, God, what can I do? God, search me. Try me. Show me. Is there something in my life I need to cut out? I need to remove. God, do, do your spiritual x-ray on me. If there's something I need to cut out, something I need to get rid of, show me. If there's something I need to work on, if there's a muscle I need to get to exercise a little bit more, tell me what I need to do to be the best I can be for your glory, not for mine. Second, to remind you again that it's not about our works. Even though David has said, I've done nothing wrong, even though David said, I I'm doing my best and I'm walking in the way I should, trying to live that Psalm 1 life, he still says, redeem me, God, I still need you. Don't ever get away from that, especially when it comes to salvation. I'm going to tell you, this world today, you ask people, well, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? Most people would say, well, because I'm a good person. That's works. I'm trying to build myself uh, a way to heaven. Um, a lot of folks would say, well, I've been good. I've gone to church. Well, that's that's fantastic. That doesn't help. God didn't say go to church. <laughs> if thou show, He didn't say, if you want to be saved, go to church. He didn't say join a church. He didn't say be baptized. What he said is, have faith in me. That if thou shalt confess thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should have eternal life. Believe. Believe. Trust that you've made that proclamation of faith. That's what it all, you can't live a life to become faithful. You can't do it. It's backwards. What we have to do to live the Christian life is be saved, then we live the life. That's how it works. That's what's on display here in Psalm 26. If you'll stand, we'll have time for the invitation. What number? What? 104 in the Heavenly Highways? 104 in the Heavenly Highways. If you want to sing along, do your best, Gary can wave his hand and direct and everything over there. Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Different kind of morning here, and Lord, things are just a, honestly though it's a, it's a good a little bit off as we're coming off the missions month, and uh, Lord, coming off the the the, the rummage sale, I am still astounded at uh, your goodness and everything there. Um, Lord, we're still kind of pick up some pieces from that, but Lord, I'm just I'm so amazed at what you've done here this weekend. Lord, as we gather here, this passage of Scripture that we've opened, that we've looked at here this morning, I think is an amazing testimony of how a Christian ought to live, following your commands, 
constantly seeking to better, to refine ourselves through you, through your word. And Lord, in the end of the day, still trusting in you. There's so many great truths in this. Most importantly, though, I pray somebody here, somebody online may come across this, that they know that the faith is the foundation. We don't work to find the faith, to find the salvation, but we begins there and then we act on it. Lord, how important it is that we come to you in faith. We can't earn that. All we can do is accept that gift in faith. Lord, so many people trip over that simple, simple gift of salvation that you offer to all men. Lord, challenge our hearts, I pray. We've hit a lot of different stuff, a lot of different ideas in the sermon here this morning. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us, I pray, in this. And Lord, I do pray that you would search each and every one of our hearts and show us where we can uh, do better in our service to you. Challenge us, I pray, in this invitation time. In the holy name, amen.